You're listening to Cape Watch Radio with Pastor Dave Schenk of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through the book of Acts. Call me sinners, poor, needy, and weak. He stands to save you now for pity and love, mighty power. He's willing and able. He calls you now. Who is the author of confusion? Yeah, Satan's the author of confusion. I believe Paul was under attack for a reason. Satan knew what was going to happen. Satan knew the witness that was going to come out. Satan knew that these letters would be written. Satan knew that years from now, thousands of people would be getting to be saved by Paul's letters. And Satan knew that if he could thwart him and neutralize him from keeping the Word of God and doing God's will, he would win. You lose. Paul goes. Oftentimes, when we feel the Holy Spirit directing us, we get sidetracked with the inner debate over whether we are really hearing the Holy Spirit or not. As Pastor Dave teaches us in today's message, that confusion is a very effective tool of Satan. We certainly should be discerning, but if we feel the Holy Spirit leading, we just need to follow. Now here's Pastor Dave for today's message. Can you imagine this great big throng of people coming with Paul? They're all walking together. See you, Paul. Bye, Paul. They're all coming down here. They're all sad. And as Paul's... The ship's passing away and pulling away. Paul's on the back looking out, and they're going, don't go. I mean, this must have been horrible for him. This must have been horrible. I imagine that Paul was both confused and relieved to leave them. He was confused because he started thinking, am I obeying the Spirit? Am I really obeying God's Word? And he couldn't understand what was going on, what was their actions. And I think he was relieved because he didn't have to hear, don't go, Paul, don't go anymore. So it was nice to get out of that way. But who is the author of confusion? Yeah, Satan's the author of confusion. I believe Paul was under attack for a reason. Satan knew what was going to happen. Satan knew the witness that was going to come out. Satan knew that these letters would be written. Satan knew that years from now, thousands of people would be getting to be saved by Paul's letters. And Satan knew that if he could thwart him and neutralize him from keeping the Word of God and doing God's will, he would win. You lose. Paul goes. He continues his journey. He goes to Pultimus. He meets the brethren there, and he finally makes one more stop, and that's the port that is adjacent to Jerusalem in Caesarea. And when when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Pultimus, greeted the brethren, stayed with them one day, and on the next day... We who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. Finally, Paul is in Caesarea, which they walk, you know, Jesus, one of Jesus' home base, Caesarea. You can walk to Jerusalem from there. He's there. He's where he wants to be. And they stay at a house of a real familiar face, a real familiar guy. But even while he's there, even while he's there in the comfort of his house where he feels secure, he receives a second warning about going to his trip to Jerusalem. And this time, it comes in the form of prophecy. Let's read on. They entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Abacus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Wow. The last time we saw Philip was in chapter 8, 
and he was baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. Remember that great story? Philip was one of the seven chosen with Stephen. Philip and Stephen were buds. He was best buds. I wonder how Philip acted when the Apostle Paul came up. The Apostle Paul held the coats of those that stoned Stephen, Philip's best friend. I wonder how that went. Must have went well because Stephen welcomed him in, I mean, Philip welcomed him into their house. He had four daughters who prophesied. Doesn't say that they prophesied anything about Paul's visit to Jerusalem, but we can assume that they did, but we can't because it's not in there. But this man named Abacus, a prophet, tells the group something about Paul and about something that's pretty bleak. Paul was no stranger to Abacus either. In chapter 11, we saw Abacus. He was the one that prophesied the great famine that would come into the land in chapter 11 of the book of Acts. It was this famine that caused the church at Jerusalem to start to starve, which is why Paul collected all the money in the first place. So it's real cyclical here. It all comes back. So Abacus tells them, Interesting thing about Abacus's prophecy is that he did not interpret it to mean that Paul should or should not go. He didn't say anything about not going. He just said, this is what's going to happen to the person who owns this belt. But his friends took it that way. His friends took it to mean, don't go, Paul. Don't go, Paul. His friends said, wait a minute. They took it and they said, don't go. They chimed in. They pleaded. Look at Acts 21.12 when we continue. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those that played from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Notice something very curious here. The pronoun we. Who's writing it? Dr. Luke. One of Paul's really good buddies. One of Paul's missionary buddies. One of his companions. We pleaded. All of a sudden... One of his best buds is pleading with him not to go to Jerusalem. That must have hurt. I mean, this must have been unbearable for him. I mean, you ha- let's, let's put it all together. The pressure of all the months and even years of vague prophecies about his persecutions. The sadness and the wrenching heart at the departure with the Ephesian elders. The love and respect shown at Tyra and the tugging at his heart. And then Abacus's prophecy, which was so dramatic holding up Paul's belt, and now Luke is back into the fray soaring, don't go, I'm begging you, don't go. This is all too familiar. If you've ever tried to do anything for the Lord, you're going to get both sides. People say, go, 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 and people say, no, no, no. When we went to the East Coast Pastor Conference, I met up with our dear friend, Denny Barger, who's back from Bahrain. We were talking about this very thing. When he told people he was going to Bahrain, some of them said, you're crazy. Some of them still think he's crazy. He felt the Lord was leading him to Bahrain to minister to the Muslim. Now he's a pastor of a church over there in Bahrain. He's had audiences with the king of Bahrain. And he said, the king likes me. I said, that's a good thing. But he's still in the midst of a Muslim country. He said, there's riots on the streets. He says, Maltef cocktails are always around and nobody's drinking them. He said, it's an incredible thing. He said, you have to go out in numbers because it's dangerous. And some of the people with me said, you're crazy. That didn't change. The pressure was so much for the Apostle Paul, he broke down. He broke down, and he started to cry, and he started to wail and weep. It says in 13, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? 
for I am ready to go bound, not only bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul again tells them his resolve, but he was torn apart. And this Greek word used for weeping means wailing aloud in distress. Paul was upset. Yo, guys, this is me, the Apostle Paul you're talking to. Come on. You know I'm in tune with the Holy Spirit. What are you doing to me? The word breaking here actually means crushing. The weight of this pressure was crushing the Apostle Paul. And you can just see Satan in the background going, got some guys that do my work. Hey, they're doing it good too. Paul said, I can't believe that you would use my brothers and sisters in this manner. I can't believe that you would use them against me. And this was Paul who preached against false teaching from within. You know, Satan thrives to thwart the will of God any way he can. Remember Matthew 16? Matthew 16? Who do men say I am, Jesus said? Thou art this guy, John the Baptist, Elijah. Who do you say I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, Son of the living God. Flesh and blood didn't tell you that, Simon Barjona, but my Father which is in heaven. And he goes on and tells them about the gates of hell not prevailing against him. And on that profession, he's going to build a mighty church. And then he starts to tell them something else in Matthew 16, verse 21 and 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. They didn't take it very well. In fact, Peter stands up and says, took him aside and rebuked him, said, far be it from you, Lord. This will not happen to you. What did he say to Peter? Get behind thee, Satan, because you care for the things of men, not God. The same situation. The same situation. And just like Jesus, who was resolute to go to Jerusalem, whose face was like a flint to Jerusalem, the Apostle Paul now renews his resolve and continues on the path the Lord has placed before him, realizing that the cost is going to be high. We finish out when it says, so when he would not be persuaded, we see saying, the Lord will be done. The will of the Lord be done. One commentator said that this sentence could be said with frustration or conviction and was probably said with both. Well, let's try to wrap some of this up now. As we look at this pressure that Paul faced, we can see several things about the Paul's acquaintances. And you might be able to see some of these things about the people that you hang around with or the people that you might look for for counsel. First of all, these people demonstrated an all-too-common inclination of being quick to know the will of God for somebody else. You ever wonder somebody like that? The Lord told me you need to do this. Excuse me? The Lord told me you need to do this. Well, I'll take it to the Bible, but I, don't you think the Lord would tell me? The Lord told me you got to do that. Okay. You know, what really matters is what God wants us to do, not what other people want us to do. It's what God's will. Secondly, these friends were trying to make God's will conform to their pre-connotations, their preconceptions. Paul's suffering can't be the will of God, not the apostle Paul. He can't go and suffer. We've got to prevent this at all costs. Friends were trying to keep Paul... Someone Oswald Chambers says about this. I love it. He says, to choose to suffer means that there's something wrong with you. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. 
No healthy saint ever chooses to suffer, but a healthy saint chooses God's will as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. Finally, in these, the pressure that Paul pasted, the, 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 the things we can learn about his acquaintances, their focus wasn't on Christ. Their focus wasn't Christ's word. It was on themselves. Their loyalty to Paul, their love for Paul, they didn't want to see Paul hurt. See, they were focusing too much on the horizontal. They weren't focusing on the vertical. They weren't focusing on what God wants. They weren't focusing on that. How could Paul survive? How could Paul survive this? How did he survive? How can we survive this when we have friends like this? When we have friends who are well-meaning friends, good friends, Good brothers and sisters in the Lord, all born again, all Christians, all following the Lord. But they had this advice, how can we do this? Well, I come up with four things. Paul approached life like Jesus did. That's the old WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's how Paul approached life. Paul held on to God's will that had been revealed to him. Remember back in Acts 9.16, when the Lord was talking to Ananias. He said, for I will show him, he's talking about Paul, how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Suffering, the idea of suffering was not a new notion to Paul. The Lord had told him it was going to happen. Secondly, Paul refused to be deterred from the revealed will of God. Nothing could deter Paul from the revealed will of God. Nothing could stop him. Nothing could get his way. Paul knew he was in the God's perfect will, and he had peace that God that would surpass his all understanding. Paul was at peace with what the Lord had showed him, even if it meant suffering. What troubled him, what was bothering him, was the reaction of his friends. It's almost like he said, I taught you better than this. I counseled you better than this. And finally, Paul wanted to please God more than he wanted to please man. Paul was not a man pleaser. Paul was a God pleaser. And that is so important. In Galatians 1 verse 10, it, Paul says, For now, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. See, Paul trusted in the sovereignty of God. Paul believed that God knew what he was doing. Paul trusted in God's will. We're going back to Oswald Chambers again. He said, God plants his saints in the most useless places. We say, I should be here because I'm so useful. Jesus never estimated his life by the standard of the greatest use. God puts his people where they will glorify him. And we are not capable of judging where that will be. We don't know where that will be or what that, that looked like. Here's some final thoughts regarding God's will. One commentator said the classic example of knowing God's will can be found in the four councils. The council of God's word, the council of the Holy Spirit, the council of our conscience, and the councils of others. If you have a heart that is saved, if you have a heart that's been regenerated, a heart that is filled with the Holy Spirit, a heart that's been sanctified, and a heart that's submitted to God, you can know God's will for your life. But when seeking his will, be good seekers. Be good seekers of his will. And be discerning from whom you accept advice. Some of us go, 
all over the place, telling the same story to every single person in the entire town. Wait a minute, there's somebody walking across the street I haven't talked to. Go over there. And we get 8 billion different things to do. No, choose one or two who you trust. Choose one or two who the Lord puts you in your path and ask them for advice. Ask them for godly advice. Don't just spread it all over the town and then pick and choose which one you want and which one you don't want. We've got to be good discerners of who we speak to in these times. It's good to seek advice from brothers and sisters, but you need to be able to trust them and know that they have God's interest in mind and your interest as well. I think first and foremost, when you want to know God's will, I'm going to challenge you. Spend time with the Lord regularly. Get on your face before Him in prayer. Get on your face before Him seeking His will for you. Ask Him what His will is for you. Ask Him. Read the Word. Pray continually. The word says, seek and you shall find. It says, ask and it will be given to you. It says, knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek, ask, and find. And this beautiful scripture that I just took from Luke 11, verses 9 through 13, you know, he talks about giving, you know, you ask for a, a fish and you get a stone. You ask for this and you get a serpent. No. Verse 9 in Luke 11 says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find and knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Wow. Seek. Ask. Fine, get on your face before the Lord. When's the last time you spent a long time in prayer all by yourself, seeking the Lord's will? I want to know what the... Come to me. Pastor Dave, Pastor Dave, I, I want to know what the Lord's will is. Well, have you prayed about it? Well, not yet. Well, pray about it, then come to me. Or let's pray about it together. Get on your face before God. Those of you that have been attending our Sunday night prayer... It has been glorious. This building is a direct result from Sunday night prayer. And we know it. We know God's gift. It's because we took the time to sit before the Lord, to get everything else out of our way, and pray. And seek His face. What do you want for us, Lord? What do you want? I can't tell you how many times when we had a contract on this building, that in, not in this very room, in the room over at Washington Boulevard, where we sat and we said, if this isn't your will, take it away. We want His will. I want His will for you. You want His will for you. But I don't know what that looks like. And sometimes, we may not want it. Sometimes we ask for God's will and we might not want it. You know, it's like the sweater Aunt Gladys gave you for Christmas. Oh, it's a really nice sweater. I'm really grateful for it, but I don't want it. Sometimes the Lord gives you his will and says, here it is. And you go, there? You want me to talk to that person? Yeah. The most important thing that we can learn from Paul today, the most important thing that I can give to you, and I'd like to end right here, is that when we know the will of God for our life, we have to do it. When you know the will of God, this is the biggest problem. Many of us know, many of you know what God wants from you, but you won't do it. 
if you know you should take an ethical stand with the people that work, do it. If you know you should give to the poor, do it. If God wants you to admit that you're wrong, do it. If God calls you to preach and teach to the children, do it. If God calls you to volunteer, do it. If God calls you to visit the sick, do it. If God calls you to go to outer Mongolia, bye, do it. You want the perfect will of God in your life. I can't tell you how many of us Calvary Chapel pastors would love to be pastors in Maui. But the Lord put you in places and he sends you in places. You have to do that. Do not settle for knowing God's will. Do God's will and find the peace of mind that Paul had. When you do God's will, you do all for his glory, all for his honor, and all for his testimony of the love that he has for you because he chose you to do his will. Does he need us? No. But he wants to use us. He wants to use you today. He wants to use you. You know, be like the man who said, Lord, what thou wilt, where thou wilt, and when thou wilt, thy will be done. Can you say that today? Can you be like Jesus, not my will, but your will? In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack in his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering with us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's will. All should come to repentance. Maybe that's what God's telling you today. Maybe that's the will of your life right now. All coming to repentance. Maybe you haven't done that. Maybe that's why the Lord brought you here today to hear this so that the Lord would say, hey, I'm talking to you. Don't hit somebody else and go, this message is for some." No, his message is for you. He's talking to you today. And finally, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1 to 4, Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Do you want to know what God's will for your life is first? Come to the knowledge of truth. Come to Jesus Christ. That's first. Don't be looking to go to outer Mongolia until you first know him intimately, until you first know him on a, on, on a name basis. Jesus, my Lord, my Savior. That's the first thing. That's the first step. Everybody asks me, what's God's perfect will? His perfect will is that all would come to repentance and that we would know him. That's his will. Are you in his will today? Have you done that? Have you made a profession of faith? Maybe you haven't. Maybe you have. Maybe you've slid away. And the Lord's calling you home. Been talking to you in your, in your ear. You know? Maybe you're confused and you're relieved when he stops talking. But he continues to talk and say, Hey, come to me. Come to me. Come back. I heard you. Make that step today. And be in his perfect will. Be in God's perfect will for your life, for my life, for this church's life. And that's what it's about. Pastor Dave will continue teaching through the book of Acts the next time you join us. You know, programs like Cape Watch Radio can be a huge blessing that God uses in the lives of countless people. But we must always be careful about just hearing God's word. 
Remember what James said? Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. As you join us each day here on Cape Watch Radio, it's our hope and prayer that you would not only hear God's word, but that you would do God's word, that you would take the lessons that you're learning here on Cape Watch Radio and apply them to your everyday life. And we want to help you to continue to apply God's word to your life. We have resources to help you in this journey. Log on to www.capewatchradio.com and there you'll find helpful tools that you can use as you study God's word. Again, our web address is www.capewatchradio.com or you can always give us a call. Our phone number here at Cape Watch Radio is 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. And don't forget to place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Dave continues teaching through the Word of God. That's all the time we have for today. May God bless you as you continue to listen to Cape Watch Radio.